Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome to Men's World on Radio Eye. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. Well, today's show, we're going to be talking about baseball. Spring training is over for the major leagues, and the season openers have been played. Now, as many of you know, it's nearly impossible for me to talk with you about a recent game in any sport due to the timing of when I record the show and when you hear it. Several days go by in between, and by the time you hear my report, it would be old news. But still, it's baseball season. So I've got two great stories. The first is about hammering Hank Aaron and the major league record that he broke during his career. The anniversary of that date uh, just occurred. Aaron was really a good guy and he was a great athlete. And then after recording this story, for some unknown reason, I remembered something a fellow I worked with once said to me. It was World Series time. And this fellow had emigrated to the U.S. a few years earlier. He came from Russia. And he asked me who else in the world we played in this series. Obviously, the name World Series is misleading. But anyway, that memory led me to our next story for today. That is, who invented this game anyway? It's certainly an American game. But what's the background? Well, I've got the background on that man that is recognized as the father of baseball. My name is Vince DePhillips, and I'm your host for today's program. Now, please keep in mind that the articles presented on Men's World are for general information only. Radio Eye does not endorse or recommend any of the subjects mentioned. So, let's turn to our first story. Now, this story, this story appeared uh, on Fox News on April 8th, um, written by Christine Roussel, and it's entitled, On This Day in History, April 8th, 1974, Hank Aaron Breaks Babe Ruth's Home Run Record. So here's the story. Baseball superstar Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run, breaking Babe Ruth's career home run record, and that occurred on April 8th, 1974. Known as Hammerin' Hank for his impressive home run abilities, Aaron hit his record-breaking home run off L.A. Dodgers pitcher Al Downing. That's according to the National Baseball Hall of Fame website. The ball went into the left field bullpen at Atlanta Fulton Count Stadium, giving Aaron his 715th career home run. Up to that point, Babe Ruth's home run record had stood for nearly 20 years since his retirement from the game back in 1935. Aaron would go on to hit 40 more home runs before he retired in 1976, marking a career total of 
755 home runs. Born Henry Hank Aaron on uh, February 5th of 1934, he was born in Mobile, Alabama. And he would make his major league debut in 1954, playing right field for the Milwaukee Braves. That first season, first season in the majors, Aaron hit 13 home runs. And he more than doubled that the next year in 1955 with hit 27. And he had a breakout year in 1957, hitting 44 home runs that season alone. Also in 57, the Milwaukee Braves won the World Series, and Aaron was named the National League's most valuable player. Now, his home run record stood until 2007, when Barry Bonds hit his 756th career home run. Now, Bonds, Barry Bonds, you may remember his name uh, being in sports news some years back, he retired from baseball uh, with a career total of 762 home runs. And there was a lot of controversy around Barry Bonds and steroids and things, and nothing was ever proven. But anyway, although Aaron's home run record has been surpassed, he still holds two Major League Baseball records. Aaron remains baseball's all-time leader and runs batted in and total bases. If each of his 750 home runs were removed from his statistical record, Aaron would still have over 3,000 hits at bat. Wow, amazing. Now, Aaron retired from baseball at the end of 76, 1976. And during his career, he played for the Milwaukee Braves, which became the Atlanta Braves, um, and obviously moved to Atlanta. And he spent his final two seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers. In 1982, the first year he was eligible, Aaron was elected into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, garnering almost 98% of the ballots. And his plaque in the uh, Hall of Fame Museum, his plaque reads, hit 755 home runs in 23-year career, to become Major League's all-time Homer King. It also says has 20 or more consecutive years in the, in the, in the um, seasons, and he also set the record for, for games played. He played in almost 3,300 games. He was at bat over 12,000 times, and he batted in over... Uh, 2,200, almost 2,300 uh, home runs. He paced the National League in batting twice and runs batted in, and he won the Most Valuable Player, as I mentioned, in 1957. Now, uh, Hank Aaron's number, 44, was retired by both the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers. And, and, you know, in closing, I mentioned Aaron, uh, Aaron died um, just two years ago. He, he died in uh, January of 2021. He was 86 years old. And the Atlanta Braves chairman, a guy named Terry McCurk, said in a statement at that time, we're absolutely devastated by the passing of our beloved Hank. He was a beacon for our organization, first as a player, then with player development, and always 
with community efforts. His incredible talent and resolve helped him achieve the highest accomplishments. Yet, he never lost his humble nature. Well, what a, what a great testament to the man. Never lost his humble nature. Anyway, that's the end of our article. Now, as I said in our introduction, where did this game even come from? I mean, it's the all-American game, all-American pastime, but how did, how did this thing develop? So, to address that, there was a story that appeared in uh, Lifestyles, foxlifestyles.com, on March 31st. And this article is written by Carrie Byrne. The article is entitled, Meet the American Who is the True Father of Baseball. So, the article begins, Daniel Adams, his nickname was Doc, he nurtured baseball in its formative years of the mid-1800s. He nurtured it as if it was his only child. He is the guy who laid down the laws of baseball in its infancy, guiding the sport for the rest of its days. He taught important life skills to the game, from playing shortstop to umpiring, all these things which were essential to its growth. He provided for baseball when it was needy, making the earliest bats and balls so that others could enjoy the game he loved. Uh, there was a historian of, for Major League Baseball uh, Association, a guy named John Thorne, and he said, this is his statement, Doc Adams is the true father of baseball. Now Thorne, um, again from Major League Baseball, first said, he made that claim actually in 1992, and he's repeated the statement many times since. Adams was dubbed the father of baseball in the press as early as 1895. Yet when he died in 1899, his legacy as the essential figure in the foundation of our national pastime died with him. The vacuum in public perception of baseball lore was filled by other figures, really less consequential features of figures and that's according to experts today. Now, the popular origin story of baseball is that it was invented by a guy named Doubleday, who actually fought in the Civil War. And then um, they've also said it was a guy named Alexander Cartwright, uh, and who came up with some of the codes and so forth. But a roar of protest has arisen from the grandstand of Baseball America in recent years. Historians, and enthusiasts of the game hope to set the record straight in a sport that cherishes tradition more than any other, but had its own origin story wrong for many years. These historians and enthusiasts want Doc Adams given his due by baseball officials and the American public as the most formative figure in the early days of baseball. And they want him given a long, overdue place of honor in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, this guy Doubleday I mentioned, Doubleday, this is kind of funny, Thorne, the, the, the spokesman who made this statement about um, Doc Adams, and Thorne says, Abner Doubleday, Santa Claus, and Dracula are equally mythic figures. In other words, it's all untrue. Now, Doubleday Field at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, is dubbed the home of baseball. And it credits Cartwright 
uh, as the father of baseball. But everything credited to Cartwright and his Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame plaque should instead be credited by or credited to Doc Adams. Again, this is a baseball historian saying this. It's this guy, Doc Adams. Now, Adams was born back in 1814 in Mount Vernon, New Hampshire. And his father was a physician. And, uh, they lived in Massachusetts, and uh, Doc was born in New Hampshire. And he was a local politician. He was an author. He was a writer. And his works were used in classrooms for, for years. So he was a pretty well-known guy. He even went to college back then. He went to Yale, then medical school at Harvard. And he looked to make a name for himself in New York. Now, baseball clubs, even back in those years, in the early 1840s, so almost 200 years ago, right, they had played various forms of the game informally among themselves. And its primary objective was exercise and good fellowship. And different clubs, there are a lot of these baseball clubs at that time, but they all played by different rules. And different cities had different versions of the game. They called it town ball, and that was a little different than baseball, and so forth. Well, anyway, uh, Doc Adams had moved to New York, as I mentioned, and he joined a baseball club there called the Knickerbockers. And the players, they included merchants and lawyers. They were bank clerks, insurance clerks. And there were others who finished their work at 3 in the afternoon. So what they did was they went into this sport, this club. They joined this club. And they did it just really for exercise and enjoyment. And I think that, um, as Adams said many years later, before he died, obviously, and he said when he was interviewed, he said he felt that there was a good deal of fun that the players got out of it more so than in today's world. Now, this was even in the 1900s, he said this. Anyway, he soon became one of its leading figures on the field and in the office. And he's the guy who created a new position called shortstop. He created this position back in 1850. And the, the reason was the position was first devised to aid in relay throws from the outfield. And... Soon after that, he continued working for this club, or playing, joining this club and playing with them, and he became the president of the early Knickerbockers. Now, the ball these guys used it was so light, it could not even be thrown 200 feet. So that's why they needed a short fielder to send the ball into the pitcher from the outfield. And then Adams took it upon himself to make better baseballs by hand. And he oversaw the birth of the baseball bat industry. Adams, again, uh, many, many years ago, was interviewed, and he said, we had a great deal of trouble in getting balls made. And for six or seven years, I made all the balls myself, not only for our club, but also for other clubs as they became organized. So he goes on to say, finally, I found a scotch man, a saddler, a man who made saddles, who was able to show me a good way to cover the balls with horsehide. And this was, horsehide was used uh, for horse whips at that time. He said, I, uh, again, Adam said, I used to make the stuffing out of three or four ounces of rubber cuttings, wound with yarn, and then covered with leather. 
It was not until sometime after 1858 that a shoemaker was found who was willing to make the baseballs for us. This was the beginning of baseball manufacturing. It was equally difficult to get good bats made, for no one knew any more about making bats than they knew about making baseballs. And the bats had to be turned under my personal supervision. Wow, this guy oversaw everything. Well, anyway, the foundation of modern baseball was laid in uh, early 1857 in a national convention of baseball players. A bunch of these guys got together in uh, Manhattan. And Doc Adams presided over this convention. Under his leadership, the conference emerged with uniform new rules as the recreational game grew into a larger and increasingly competitive sport. The 1857 convention gave us the major framework we recognize as baseball today. These include nine innings per game, nine players per side, and 90 feet between base paths. Now these laws of baseball, as they were called, was handwritten by Doc Adams. And it's, the document is still around. It emerged just in recent years. And in fact, it was auctioned off. And it, the, the uh, laws of baseball, the document, was purchased by an attorney out in California. And you know what? He paid over $3 million for this uh, document. He claimed he mortgaged his house to help fund the purchase of what uh, Thorne, the historian I mentioned, Thorne called this document the Magna Carta of Baseball. Well, this attorney who bought these uh, papers, the so-called Magna Carta of Baseball, he really knew very little about Doc Adams when he, when he bought these at auction. He knew only that the documents were important and that they fulfilled his own passions for baseball, law, and history. This guy has since come to realize that Adams holds a special place in the American sports pantheon. By following the arc of the rules of conventions through the handwriting of its president. And this attorney, as he learned more about it, he told the author of this article that we're reading that this meeting was like the U.S. Constitutional Convention. It was a beautiful expression of American government sensibilities. Now, the laws of baseball is a document of unparalleled importance in the history of America's national pastime. The three million that guy paid represents not only the highest price ever paid for a baseball document, but the third highest price ever for any piece of sports memorabilia. With the rules better defined, and with the success of that convention back in 1857, the game became increasingly popular, and subsequent conventions attracted more teams. Now, the Civil War, uh, Civil War occurred uh, in those years, and that caused membership to decrease, but it helped introduce the game to the southern parts of the U.S. The membership of the National Association of Baseball Players increased to more than 300 members at that time. And in 1869, and you, you listeners may be aware of this, the Cincinnati Reds were the first professional baseball team. They were 
formed back in 1869, so our neighbors to the north. The National League, the same senior circuit that still competes today, was founded back then in 1876. And then the American League started, uh, was formed in 1901. So both leagues obviously go back well over 100 years. And the first World Series between the competing leagues, the American League and the National League, that was held in 1903. Baseball was off and running. It was played by the rules Doc Adams set down. It was played with equipment he pioneered with his hands touching every aspect of the sport. Adams authored another baseball first in 1858. That was the year after that first rules convention. Now, at that time, he was well into his 40s, and he officiated the first All-Star Game series that was held in New York, where he was the first umpire to call balls and strikes in competitive baseball. Doc Adams died uh, in 1899 in Connecticut, and he was 84 years old at the time. He's buried today in the Evergreen Cemetery in uh, Connecticut, beneath a stone in which the letters have grown worn and muddled as his name is being lost to history. Perhaps the neglected memorial soon will get the same renewed attention as the man himself. His star began to shine again through the research uncovered by this man Thorne and by the dogged work by Doc Adams' great-granddaughter, a lady named Marjorie Adams, who's now deceased, and she has worked to revive his contribution to the game. The nation's longest-running vintage baseball tournament was renamed the Doc Adams Old-Time Baseball Tournament, and that just happened in 2015. It's held each summer up in New York. And Adams' enthusiasts now hope he'll get his long-overdue plaque at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. The early baseball era committee of the Hall of Fame meets every three years. And Adams was on their 2016 ballot right before his laws of baseball were discovered earlier that year. So you can see this whole thing, the laws of baseball and the understanding of uh, Adams being the father of baseball, this is just coming to light in, in the past few years, less than 10 years. But anyway, in that the 2016 ballot, he missed induction into the Hall of Fame by only two votes. Well, his next opportunity to be inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, will occur uh, in December of 2024. That's when the committee votes on its 2025 inductees. Hall of Fame or not, Adam's greatest contribution may be instilling a nation with a love for the sport he fathered and is now cherished as our national pastime. The playground in um, Elysian Fields in Hoboken is a beautiful spot and it overlooks the Hudson and it's reached by a pleasant path along the cliff. That's what Adams told the Sporting News. It was a, a newspaper back in 1896. And he said, Once there, we were free from all restraint and throwing off our coats we played until it was too dark to see any longer. End of quote and end of story. By the way, I've got to uh, add something here, a personal experience. Believe it or not, 
I had an aunt who's, who's, she's passed away many, many years ago now. Well, when I was a little kid, we used to go and visit her. This was my father's sister. And she worked from home and she made baseballs. She had made uh, softballs, you know, the uh, kind of bigger ones, and hard league balls, the, sh- the small hard ones. She actually sewed the covers on those. And it, it, so this was probably in the 60s or 70s, 60s, I guess. And um, it was a cottage industry up until that time of making baseballs. These baseball companies would uh, send these send their materials out to ladies all over the country who would sit down and listen to the radio or watch their soap operas on TV and sew baseballs. You can imagine, we'd love to go and visit her because she always gave us tons of baseballs before we left. Well, in our remaining minutes, I want to return to something. We, we um, had a few of these in the past, and I want to talk about them again. And these are the origins of commonly used phrases. And this was actually part of an article that appeared in readersdigest.com. And I always find these things interesting because we, we all use these expressions every day. And you think, where did these things even come from? What's the background? So this first one, common sayings, where do they come from? You've heard this one before. Give someone the cold shoulder. What's the background? Well, surprisingly, this doesn't just refer to coldly turning your back on somebody. Etymologists think the phrase originated from medieval etiquette. It goes back that far. After a feast, hosts in England would subtly signal that the meal was over and it was time for the guests to leave by serving a cold slice of pork, mutton, or beef shoulder. So when the cold food came out, it was time to say goodbye. Here's another one. I let the cat out of the bag, or he let the cat out of the bag. So who would even put a cat in a bag? Well, the answer, again, goes back to medieval times in the markets. And in the markets at that time, people used to sell piglets, little pigs, and they were tied in bags for a farmer to carry home. And if somebody was a dishonest dealer or seller in the market, he might swap the piglet in the sack with a less expensive animal, such as a cat. So when you let the cat out of the bag, you were exposing the man to be a con. Okay, we've all heard this one. Blood is thicker than water. You probably think this means you should always put family ahead of friends. In fact, it originally meant the opposite of that. The full phrase originally was, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And covenant, the word covenant, they were referring to friendship. In other words, it was your friends, your blood brothers, if you will, who were with you through thick and thin. Huh. So it actually meant the opposite of what we use it for today. Now this one is one, the next one. It's one I never understood, being a, a city boy. And um, but some of you may may already know this. Anyway, the expression is till the cows come home. Well, cows were often milked in their barns at night making that task one of the last on a farmer's to-do list. The expression has been around since at least the late 1500s and is likely to continue until, well, you know, till the cows come home. And finally, there's the expression, the seven-year itch. You've heard this one, right? 
Now, the term originally referred, this is terrible, but it originally referred to scabies, which is an itchy affection, uh, infection caused by mites that burrow underneath a person's skin. The reason they said seven years, seven year itch, it referred to the fact that that's how long the bugs could actually linger. Ooh, creepy. Anyway, that's the background on some commonly used expressions. Well, that's all we've got time for today, so we'll conclude Men's World. Now, I've been your host. My name is Vince DePhillips. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions concerning this program, please call us in our Lexington studios. The number there is 859-422-6390. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned to Radio Eye. Now, if you're listening to the show on Sunday, the program Veterans Voice follows. If you're listening to the repeat on Monday, the program Get Fit follows this one. So again, I thank you very much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show, and I wish you a great week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.